0: All right, Uh, so we're going to take a brief interlude this week in our spiritual growth campaign, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, the passage that's been on my mind for a while now, and Eric and I were talking a little bit, I think it was yesterday or, or maybe Friday, it was just, it's a little frustrating, it feels like we keep getting snowed out, or we have COVID scares, and it seems like it's difficult to get momentum, and so it's a little a little frustrating dealing with things in the church that way. And you look a little bit further afield and and the nation, things seem to be a little rocky and that's frustrating and we all have various difficulties in, in our personal lives and in, in our family and our work. Um, and so I, I wanted this morning just to highlight some things that we have to be joyful about. Um, I, I want us to think about some of the, the gifts and blessings we've been given um, and that sort of puts things in perspective. That, that helps us to... Joy is, joy is better than happiness, but it's not less than happiness. People often say, you know, well, well, I'm not happy, but I'm joyful. And say, like, well, you don't sound very joyful to me. You don't seem very joyful. Um, joy is based on eternal realities. It's based on, on deeper truths that are unshaking. Unchanging, constants, and so I, I want to point us to some of those this morning. And Lord willing, we'll come away from here a little bit joyful, and resultantly a little bit better at serving the Lord. So, without further ado, let's let's look at the first few verses of uh, the first chapter of Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are Ephesus and who are faithful. In Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. According to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. So, what we're going to see, Lord willing, if we have time, I don't want to keep you too long uh, with the the snow coming. But Lord willing, we're going to see six reasons for joy, six reasons for joy, six different blessings. That the Lord has given us, and and some of His motivations for giving them to us. Um, but first, I just want to highlight this—the theme that runs through this passage, the the great motivation of the Lord that runs through this passage—is a great comfort to me. Um, you see, three different times, you see Paul write that it's uh, to the to the praise of His glory, or to the praise of the glory of His grace. The great motivation. That, that has impelled God to work through Christ to redeem his people is his own glory. And that's very encouraging to me um, because while, while that doesn't satisfy the, the self centered part of us, that we, we want to be the center of the universe, we want to be the reason that he loves us, the great encouragement in that is, is that he is committed to his own glory. He is committed to his own glory, and he's not going to drop the ball because he's put his own name and his own glory on the line. So all of these blessings point to something about him, something about some aspect of his majesty, and he's not going to fail in displaying that. That's the great motivation that has compelled him, and I find that to be terribly comforting. So, having said that, let's let's jump right into the text here. We'll spend just just a couple minutes on the opening verses, and then we'll we'll look at these blessings we've been given. Um, we see here the author Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Uh, to those who've been in Bible study, we know an apostle is one sent with the authority of the one sending them. So he's coming with all of the authority of Christ and speaking these things. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. By the will of God. And to whom is he writing? He's writing to the saints, to the holy ones who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. It's notable, I was just listening to a, to a sermon on this passage, and, and the preacher was saying that Ephesus is, is a place much like our society. Um, it was a very, if you read through the book of Acts, Ephesus was a very immoral place. Um, there was all kinds of temple prostitution and, and idolatry. Um, there was much violence in the streets, if you recall. There was a riot at Ephesus, and, and I think it was uh, Paul's friend Sothsems who was beaten in front, of the, uh, in front of the mob. So it was a violent place, it was an immoral place, it was an idolatrous place. But what's highlighted about the recipients of this letter? They are the saints who are at Ephesus. They're the saints who are at Ephesus, Ephesus, and they're in Christ Jesus. They're not identified primarily by their location. That's just tagged on uh, to clarify who he's writing to. But who are they? They're saints. That is, they're holy ones. They're set-apart ones. That's what they're marked by, is holiness. And where are they? They're at Ephesus, but they are in Christ Jesus. They are faithful in Christ Jesus. And this is another theme that's going to run through this whole passage, this idea of union with Christ, being in Him. And that is the, the great comfort, the great joy, and the beating heart of the Christian life is the fact that we are united to Christ. Where He is, we are. Because He is in the heavenly places right now We are in the heavenly places right now His standing is our standing That is a great joy And a great privilege So these saints are marked by that They're at Ephesus but they're in Christ They receive the, the typical But no less meaningful for it uh, Greeting Grace to you and peace From God our Father And the Lord Jesus Christ Unmerited favor Unmerited favor from God and peace with God from God and from our Lord Jesus Christ that's the foundation of Paul's letter that's how he introduces it and now uh, let's let's jump right into the best part of this passage blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in christ so he says you've been blessed with Every spiritual blessing have in the heavenly places. Particularly when I was younger, I still like to play video games, but I was able to play them more when I was a kid. And I, there, there's some games when you start, you're like creating your character, and you've got to decide what he's going to be like. So you can decide, you know, do I want to make him kind of balanced out? Do I want him smart and strong and uh, good at getting what he wants, or do I want to make him, you know, not that smart but really strong? You have to decide. You got to pick your poison. Uh, Where am I going to put the points here? What we're told here is that we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You don't have to go through this list that's to follow and say, Well, I like this one. I'll take this one. It's not like, you know, pick two out of the list and you, you can have those. You can be marked by those and the rest of them, you know, you miss the boat. No, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Everything that's his is yours in him. Everything that's his is yours in him. And then he's going to give us these six things. And these are by, this is by no means an exhaustive list. There's more blessing than this in the heavenly places in Christ. We're given a, a samples, kind of a, a cross-section of, of what is true about the believer in Christ here. And these are great encouragements and great causes for joy. The first first blessing we're given in the heavenly places in Christ is found there in uh, in verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's the first blessing we're given. And now, there are kind of two schools of thought on this, and... We have this terrible tendency to come to wonderful passages like this with with just the wrong attitude, either trying to prove a point or trying to avoid a point. Um, For years, because of my my theological leanings, I couldn't come to this verse and read it joyfully. I'd read it and immediately start trying to explain what it didn't mean. Um, He chose me and him before the foundation of the world, Uh, Because he knew what I was going to choose. And no, that's not what it says. Uh, That's not what it says. Enjoy what it says. He chose you before the foundations of the earth. He started it. That is a great joy and a great comfort to me. That my salvation isn't dependent primarily upon me choosing him. It's dependent primarily upon him choosing me. And that makes all the difference. That gives me a great sense of security. When I, you know, imagine you're going to pull a horse out of a corral. I'm telling the story for you, John, I know you like that. (laughs) Uh, When you go to take a horse out of a corral, you know, I spent a lot of time at the of life at the ranch, and I go in, and there was this one horse, uh, Tipsy was her name, and she was terrified of me. This horse was just scared to death of me. So I'd go in the corral, and I'd go to get her, and she would just turn around and run away, and like I was like, all right, let, let me try a different tactic. So I'd like chase her around the rope, and once she would finally stopped running away, then I'd catch her. And I was like, all right, this is not working. She's just getting more and more scared of me. You know, bad idea. Reset. Um, and I was also really sick at the time, so I couldn't do much running around. So I'd go in there and I'd just like sit on the ground. I'd go in and sit in the dirt and. Every other horse in there would come up to me before she did. They'd all be like sniffing me, trying to take my hat, pawing at me, and she's like over in a corner, shivering, probably because I was just chasing her with a rope. And but eventually she would come up to me and I'd be able to catch this horse and take her out of the corral. But one thing I was certain of when I went into that corral is I wasn't leaving without that horse. You know, I she was the one that I had I was going in there, I had to work with her. I, she was the horse I had to ride that day. So I couldn't leave that corral until I had that horse. That is what's in view here. He chose us in him before the foundations of the earth. He set his mind on you before the foundations of the earth. And hes you can run away. You can. You can resist that. You can fight that. and And, and you will. Because you're a sinner. You're... Your will is set against him, naturally. So you will fight, you will resist. But he chose you, and he is not going to leave the corral, as it were, without you. He's not going to be turned aside from his purpose. And to what were we chosen? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Well, that's meaningful. Before the foundation of the world, right? So it wasn't based on what I was going to do. It was before anything began, before I had done anything good or ill, he chose me. It's not based on me, it's based on his own love and on his own glory. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And what's the motivation, what's the the purpose here? That we would be holy and blameless before him. He chose us that we would be holy and blameless before him. That's what you've been set aside to. Um, Just as I would go into that corral after that horse, and my plan, I was going to take her out, I was going to saddle her, I was going to ride her, work with her. This is the task to which he's chosen you. To be holy, set apart, uh, different, cut off from the things that defile and set aside to the things that purify and cleanse and blameless there, a day is coming, Christian where you will stand before the Lord and you will be, in fact, blameless you will be cleansed of every sin every spot, every defilement every wretched thought you've ever had every wicked thing you've ever done every crude thing that's ever come out of your mouth will all be cleansed away. Isn't that good news? This is the ongoing struggle in the Christian life is, is a struggle against sin, right? Every day, we are constantly fighting the residue of our sin nature, constantly striving for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. But a day is coming in which he is going to finally and completely cleanse us and will stand before him and be completely blameless, faultless before him in that day. Isn't that good news? That is the thing to which we've been set aside, that we would be holy and blameless before him. That's the first blessing. He chose us and the reason is that we would be holy and blameless. What is the next Blessing we're given, well, and just a word: some of your translations um, may have the punctuation in a different place here. If you're reading a King James, I don't know about the New King James. If, if the uh, verse four ends, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. Period. Um, but your newer translations will say, "Holy and blameless before Him." Period. In love, He predestined us. That is probably the accurate. Translation that kind of um, prepositional phrase never happens at the end of a sentence in Greek. So, if you are wondering why I'm breaking it up that way, that is why. This and this does change the way we read verse five. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. It's in love that he predestined us. So he he chose us to be holy and blameless, and he predestined us in love to adoption as sons in Christ Jesus. This isn't a cold and calculating thing. Yes, his purpose is his own glory. That's his highest and greatest purpose. But his love is not somehow somehow divorced from that. It's not as though there's a master plan and he's, he's willing to... To break any bones he has to along the way. No, he loves you. And that is a a great part of his master plan. His master purpose of his own glory is the, the deep and abiding love that he has for his bride. It was in love that he predestined us. You say, well, why did he love me? Because he loved you, that's the only answer I can give you. It isn't based on anything in you, and that is a great joy. Again, it's based on his own attribute, his own quality of love. He has chosen to love you in the same way that when my child was born, I just loved her. I didn't have to. I didn't like look her over and say, "All right, that nose. I can love that nose." You know? No. I, I loved her because I loved her because she's my child. She is mine. The same way the Lord has set His love upon you, and that love will not diminish. It will not change. Nothing about nothing about it can change. It's an attribute of His, not an attribute of yours. It's in love that He predestined us to what? To adoption. He predestined us to adoption. I, I'm thinking of that passage in Ezekiel um, where the Lord, he, he says, you know, he's walking along and he says, and I saw you, he's speaking to Israel, and I saw you, you were in a field, you were abandoned. In the day that you were born, no one cared to, to cut your cord, no one cared to clean you, no one cared to clothe you. Your, your father was a Hittite and your mother was an Amorite, they were They were Gentile pagans, and they didn't love you. They cast you off. You remember what he said to the Pharisees, You are of your father, the devil. Apart from Christ, that's you and I. We are of our father, the devil, and we're just like him. But the Lord chose to love us anyway. Not because there was anything inspiring about us, but he chose to love us. He chose to bring us into his family to be adopted as sons as co-heirs with his son with his righteous son that's what we've been predestined to and again the, this notion of predestination means that it will come to pass you can bank on it you can if you are a betting man you could bet on it it will come to pass You've been predestined to adoptions. You've been brought into his family. Adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. You've been brought near to the Father through Jesus Christ. Uh, often we have this idea that the Old Testament, that God the Father is the Old Testament God, and he's very wrathful and very angry. Uh, but Jesus is the, is the New Testament God, and he's very gentle and lowly, and he you know, loves babies and pets sheep and stuff. <laughs> and that, you know, Jesus Christ kind of got in the way of the Father. He wanted, he wanted to kill us, but Jesus said, No, no, let me save them. Um, it, it's not like that. God the Father sent His Son, His only Son, whom He loved, to die on your behalf so that you may, might be brought near to Himself. It's, he, he predestined us to adoption through Jesus Christ, To himself. This was God the Father's plan. That's a great joy. Why? What's the motivation for this blessing? Well, it's according to the kind intention of his will. Again, there's the the kindness, the, the loving qualities of God. To the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. It's to the praise of the glory of his grace. You see, he wanted to show off his grace, this, this quality of unmerited favor, unmerited righteousness. And so how's a God to, to show off unmerited favor? Well, by choosing people in whom there is no merit to love. So he took us, you and I. Uh, Paul says, I think in First Corinthians we're going to see, uh, consider your calling and election, brethren. Not, not very many wise, not very many noble among you. That's us. It's not very many wise, not very many noble. He, he chooses the weak. That's us. To highlight his great grace the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us. He doesn't give us just enough grace. It's not as though He's miserly, dispensing grace. Like, all right, this is what you need to get in. There you go. Next. You know, this is what you need to get in. Next. No, He freely bestows it on us. He is generous with His grace. Do you need grace? It's there. It's there for the taking. He is generous with it, which He freely bestows on us. In the beloved. Again, this is all through Christ. If you want access to these blessings, you're going to have to come through Christ. He's the one who is beloved, and because He is beloved, you can receive that grace and that love. Everything that is His is yours in Him. So we've been chosen, we've been predestined to adoption. What's the next blessing we've been given? This this one is quite marvelous. And, and verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. So this next blessing, redemption. What is redemption? I, I remember in high school... Um, Kim, maybe you remember this, Mr. Finn. It was, this is probably very politically incorrect. We probably get fired for it now. Our, our Bible class took us all in into the um, into the sanctuary, and he had like a mock slave auction. I don't know if he had Monopoly money or something. And it's really weird. In retrospect, this is probably very politically incorrect. But that's the idea being communicated here. We were we were kind of sold off to the highest bidder. That's what redemption is. This term is hearkening back to the slave markets of the first century. That's what we've been purchased out of. We were slaves to sin. Someone else owned us. They owned our time. They owned our resources. Everything in our life was directed toward sin, towards a cruel master. And his goal was not your joy; it was not your thriving. His goal was your your destruction. His pleasure was your harm. I, I'm reminded of, uh, oh, that Uncle Tom's Cabin book that started the Civil War. One of my favorite books when I was young. Baron and there's, I've probably told this story before. There's two masters, right? There's a kind master and a cruel master, and the cruel master is is the one. That we had, the one who he pits his slaves against each other uh, for the joy of watching them fight. Um, he, He grinds them to death. That's the master that we serve. We were owned, lock, stock, and barrel. And we weren't worth very much either. Our hard labor towards sin had left us, our willing hard labor, by the way, towards sin had left us completely and utterly worthless in and of ourselves. Sin corrupting every aspect of our nature. Bad habits picked up along the way. We were the least worthy. And Christ comes along and pays the very highest price for the very meanest of offenders. We're on the, the slave markets of sin. And Christ paid for us how? We have redemption through his blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. The, the most valuable one. The one who never sinned. The, the, the one who was always righteous. Who never once told a lie. He was truth itself, right? He never once stole anything. After all, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. It's all his to begin with. That one died on your behalf. It's through his blood that you've been redeemed. You've been purchased from the from the brothels of sin. That's the picture being painted here. And your trespasses, your sins, those those laws of his that you have broken, you've been forgiven through Him. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, the, the list of offenses was nailed to the cross with Him. Your list of sins, every lie you told, every, every thing you've stolen that was not yours, every lustful thought and deed, all of it was nailed to the cross with Him, and you, in return, have been offered His Righteousness, His list of perfections. That's how you're judged in the heavenly places. Not by your own virtues and merits, but by His. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. It's the motivation here, he says, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. Very similar to the last motivation. You're starting to see a, a theme here. But I love how he says, according to the riches of his grace. Not just out of the riches of his grace, but according to. In proportion to the riches of his grace. You see, if you're a millionaire and you give me $5, you haven't given to me according to your riches, you've given to me out of your riches, and I'll still appreciate the $5. Um, But that's not giving according to your riches, is it? If If you gave me Everything you own, that would be according to your riches. If you gave me a, you know, you bought me a a mansion and a yacht, well, that would be according to your riches. He's given us his grace according to the riches of his grace, which, again, he lavished on us. He hasn't been miserly in his grace. He hasn't thrown us a bone. He's, He's poured it on us. You're soaking wet in his grace. He's just, words can't describe. He, he's, he's given his grace freely to us. So, what have we seen so far? We've been chosen in him. He chose us. Apart from any deed that we had done, we've been predestined to adoption. We're now members of his family. Not only were we adopted, um, but we were redeemed, purchased from slavery, from the markets of sin. We've been forgiven for our trespasses. This next blessing, it' say that he, he enlightened us. You can see here in, in verse eight. "In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will in all wisdom and insight made known to us the mystery of his will. Think about that. This this God, this sovereign God who has a master plan for running the whole universe which he created let you in on the secret. He, he allows us to be partakers with him in his, his divine plan for the whole of the universe from the beginning to the end. How cool is that? Say, so, well, what is this what is this plan that he's talking about? Let's jump ahead here to, to the end of the chapter very quickly so we can see what he's talking about here. Um, i just lost my place here. In and, 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 uh, verse 22, it says, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the, the, the master plan. It is this bringing together of all things in Christ. The, the gospel, we've spoken about this before. The gospel, there's, a, there's a, a gospel that applies to me, right? I need to repent and believe for forgiveness of my sins. That's good news. That's the good news of the gospel. Um, but there's a, there's a bigger picture. What, what is the good news? It's the, the coming of the rule and reign of Christ on earth. You, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the big plan. For It's not all about you know living your life here, dying and going there. But it's about that coming here. Ultimately and finally, a day is going to come when everything will be set right. When all will be set in order where sin will be washed away, injustice will be washed away, sickness, all of the, the things that we struggle with, gardeners, weeds, they'll be gone. The, a day is coming where all will be set right. That's the master plan. He He goes on here to say, according to the kind intention which he purposed in him, uh, with a view toward an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. Um, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth, just this bringing everything together under his rule and reign. That is the, the big picture that he is working towards, and he's, he's enlightened us. He's let us in on that. So that is the, the fourth blessing he's Enlightened us with a view to including us in his master plan. That's good news, isn't it? In him also, in verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. He's left us an inheritance. So what is this inheritance that we're talking about? Well, I would say that this this inheritance encompasses a lot of things. It encompasses a lot of things. But ultimately, what we have, and we're going to see just a little bit later, that the Holy Spirit is the pledge of our inheritance. He's the um, the down payment, you could say, on our inheritance. So what is the inheritance? Say the inheritance is its eternal life, yes, but it's not just... Eternal life for me, it's, it's eternal life with Christ. That's the inheritance. If you remember John seventeen three, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That is what the inheritance is. That's what you get as a Christian. I think it was this past week in Bible study, we were telling a story. There was a, a preacher, Charles Leiter. He was overseas, I think in Romania. And he was preaching on the glories of Christ and all the riches that you have in Christ. And he always gives kind of a Q&A session at the end of his preaching. So when he's done preaching, he said, uh, does anyone have any questions? And someone raises their hand and they say, what else do we get? And he said, nothing. You don't get anything else. And he just closed his Bible and went and sat down. <laughs> Jesus Christ is what you get. He is the inheritance. We have union with him, fellowship with him for eternity. That's the inheritance that we get. We have obtained an inheritance again. You can't avoid it having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. Now, I I just want to take a brief aside here. When we come to this word predestined, um, again, we have this terrible tendency uh, to either... Try, try to prove our own point you come to this passage and instead of reveling in the glory of it you're just like aha there you go predestination and kind of try to stick it to people who don't agree with you um, or you come to it and you try to just just explain it away you cannot avoid reading passages like this you cannot avoid the fact that Christ is that God the Father, through Christ, has a plan. He is working, and He has chosen individuals to, to carry that plan out. And that is a great joy. So, if you agree with me on that, and you say, you know, Amen, but don't oh, don't miss the the meat of this passage, the joy of this passage, and the beauty of this passage, because I I dropped the right buzzword. Because you hear predestination and you you just miss all the glory that is carried in that. You you weren't, again, you were not chosen uh, for any merit in yourself. If anything, you were chosen for the defects that abound, that could could show his glory. And on the other hand, please don't don't read verses like this and, and just try to move on quickly past them because you don't understand how it works. Just take... Take your time. You'll understand it eventually. When you get to heaven, you'll understand it, I promise you. Um, but don't miss the, the beauty of the fact that you have been chosen. This is a sure thing. It's a done deal. You can't change it, and you wouldn't want to change it. been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things, who works all things after the counsel of his will. I forget who it is that said it they said there's not a there isn't a maverick molecule in the universe. There's nothing that's outside of his control. There's nothing that he cannot uh turn back to his highest glory and his creature's greatest good. He works all things after the counsel of his will. Why? Why has he offered us this inheritance? And I think Paul is speaking to he's speaking to the the early Christians here, and he's trying to keep them from from thinking there's something special about them because they are the early Christians because they are the first who believe. He says to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be the praise of His glory. He's just reminding them you are chosen, you're the first to. To believe in him, and that, that's well and good, but it's for the praise of his glory, and not your own. And it's, it's to redound to his glory, that the, the next to come along would see. They would see him working in you, and they would say, well, I want what's going on there. And that they too would be included in this plan. They too would receive these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. So why has he, he given us this inheritance? Well, it's the end that we were the first to hope in Christ to be in the praise of his glory. And finally, we'll take a few minutes here. I'm trying to go quickly so we can get out of here before all, too much snow comes down, but this is such a good passage. This sixth uh, lesson we have. So far, we saw that he chose us. We've been predestined to adoption. He redeemed us with his own blood. He enlightened us. He brought us in on his plan. He left us an inheritance to the praise of his glory. And finally, verse 13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who's given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So he sealed us in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise. You've been been stamped as his own. You've been branded. You belong to him. And the way that you've been sealed is with the Holy Spirit of promise. You've been given the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Godhead has taken up residence in you. That's that's why Peter can say things like we're partakers of the divine nature. That's how we're one with Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who communicates that to us, who, who applies it in our lives. God himself has taken up residence in your soul. And he enables you. He empowers you. He encourages you. He's your advocate. He's all of these things. So you also were sealed in him. But there is the uh, the functional part here. He, he's just reminding his listeners, because in every church, in every church there are going to be wheat and tares. So he, he's reminding them, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation and having believed you are sealed in him. So don't, we've spoken about predestination it's a glorious truth. I I want to, I I want to keep beating that drum, but don't miss the responsibility here. After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believing, you must listen to the gospel. You must not be hard-hearted to the message of truth if you are hard-hearted to the gospel, be sure, be sure that you are not predestined. You have no reason to place confidence in God's calling of you if that is not reflecting itself in your responding to him. So don't take uh, this, this glorious doctrine of election and, and twist it into something grotesque and, and just vile. <laughs> this... This truth of your responsibility is essential. If you are not willing to listen to the gospel, if you're not willing to believe the gospel, lock, stock, and barrel, that Jesus Christ is God, that he died for your sins because your sins abound, that he rose from the dead to to prove that your justification cleared, that he ascended, and that he is your Lord, if you're not willing to to accept those things unreservedly, then place no confidence in, in election. But again, you are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And why? Why were you sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise? Well, he's given as a pledge or a down payment of our inheritance. Right? He is how we begin to experience eternal life in the here and now. Right? Eternal life doesn't begin after you die. You've been brought in, and you're already living it now. And the way that you experience that, this is eternal life. Again, remember that you might know him, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So the way you interact with Jesus Christ in the here and now is through the Holy Spirit living in you. He's given as a pledge, as a down payment of our inheritance. And just think, that inheritance, again, we, we experience glimmers of it now. There are times where, where we can experience just sweet fellowship with the Lord in His Word and in prayer. There's times where you receive great comfort in the midst of difficulty from Him. But, but a day is coming when you will receive that in full. Where the, the things that we receive now, they're just glimpses of, of the reality to come, will finally be fulfilled. And that is good, good news. So we've given as a pledge of our inheritance through, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. As some of your translations will read that a little bit differently. Um, there's a, the kind of a supposition here. Everyone has to read into um, this verse a little bit of meaning. And different translators read it a different way. Um, so your ESV reads something like, um, with a view toward the... Oh, the re- receiving the, the possession that God has given you is kind of the idea there. I, I think the NASB gets it better here. With a view to the redemption of God's own possession. So you are what God is redeeming. You see, he, the reason the Holy Spirit is in you is a down payment uh, uh, of your inheritance, but also it is to ensure his investment. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he ensures that the blood of Christ is not wasted on his elect. Amen. That he, he will transform you, he will, he will continually grow you, shape you into his image, He's protecting his own investment in you, protecting his own glory. You are sealed in him. You cannot change that. You, you, cannot, you cannot fly from that because you won't. You won't want to, right? If you are a believer in Christ and you hear these things, do you think, man, I don't want any of that. I, I don't want God to be continually changing me and growing me, making me more like himself. I don't want him to be uh, diminishing my desire for sin and increasing my desire for righteousness. No. No, if you are in him, you are going to want these things. So you are going to rejoice at these things. You've been sealed in him with a view to redemption of God's own possession. He is protecting his own investment in you. That's a great joy. And again... He leaves us with this uh, this final drumbeat to the praise of his glory. He sandwiches this passage with the praise of his glory. This is the, the great theme that runs throughout. His name is on the line. He has placed his name on the line in your salvation. If you are in him, he will keep you. He will redeem you. He will change you and transform you for his own glory so what reasons do we have to be joyful by way of summary he chose us he chose us in him that we would be holy and blameless and we will be he predestined us to adoption we are members of his family we are children and we are co-heirs with Christ he redeemed us from the markets of sin He enlightened us, he brought us in on his master plan for the ages. He left us an inheritance, eternal life with Christ Jesus. And he sealed us in Christ with the Holy Spirit, the down payment on our inheritance and the protection of God's investment in us. So I, I pray that these things will be encouraging to you. As you leave here, you'll find great reasons for joy. Things to reflect on while perhaps you're snowed in. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for being who you are. We thank you that you chose us. Lord, I know that if my salvation was dependent upon me, that I would not be saved. So I thank you for the the gift of election that you chose me and that you've sealed me. I thank you for the the gift you've given us in enlightening us, bringing us in on your master plan for the ages. I thank you for the inheritance of eternal life, fellowship with Christ that you've given. But I, I pray that our hearts would not be dull to these things, but that we would we would keep them sharp, we would keep flying to these, and when temptation comes our way, we would fly to these realities and not to the the temptations offered. I pray that we would always live with your glory in view, that we would truly be to the praise of your glory. That people around us would look on our, our lives, would listen to our speech, and would Think of your glory and not our own. Lord, we love you. We worship you. It's in your son's name we pray this. Amen. If anyone would like special prayer, I'd love to pray with you. God bless you and have a great week.